too few people own too much of America's wealth? Many politicians and policy wonks on the left think so. They also worry the gap is getting bigger and they want Washington to take action. Many want this action to be punitive, taxing the wealth of the richest Americans to push them down rather than reforming tax codes and housing policies in a way that lifts the bottom up. To explore this debate, I'm delighted to be joined by Michael Strain. Mike is the John G. Searle Scholar and Director of Economic Policy Studies here at AEI. He's also a columnist for Bloomberg Opinion. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. I have a lot of questions about inequality I want to ask you about. Wealth inequality, income inequality. All sorts of inequalities. uh, It's also throwing a little stagnation in there, so it's not just inequality. But when you take a lot of those arguments together, what people seem to really be arguing, and some uh, political presidential candidates have said this very concisely, that capitalism, American capitalism, is rigged and or broken. You hear it all the time. Just sort of like, what is your initial reaction to that idea that it is somehow rigged or broken and that manifests itself in some of the inequalities we're going to be talking about? Well, I I think a couple of things, I guess. When people kind of look at the outcomes that capitalism delivers, when people look at the outcomes that markets deliver, they're not always uh, happy with those outcomes. And that's completely reasonable. Very few people would argue that the market delivers precisely the outcomes that uh, that we would want as a society in terms of the distribution of income, the distribution of wealth, the distribution of consumption, uh, et cetera. Um, and we have a you know pretty extensive system of tax and transfer payments that are designed to correct the outcomes that um, that markets produce. So, you know, one reaction that I have is, um, you know, that, that, that there there seems to be, you know, a little bit of a of a straw man element to this. Nobody nobody's saying that capitalism produces perfect outcomes. And and very few people think that, uh, you know, another another um, perhaps more more substantive reaction I have to it is um, that, you know, we're in a, a moment with a, of a lot of populist frustration. And on the political left, that frustration manifests itself in part through concern about inequality uh, and um, concern about the fact that there are some people uh, who have really, really uh, high incomes and have accumulated a a large amount of wealth. And they think that on the face of it, that disparity is obscene. And they think on the face of it that 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 disparity is, is, is obscene and socially unjust. You know, that in and of itself isn't really a solution. Uh, you know, you can you can hold that view, which I which I don't share, but but you can hold that view and you can conclude that that gap needs to be lowered by tearing down people at the top or that gap needs to be lowered by lifting up people at the bottom. And they might argue both. They might argue both and we but we are seeing uh, a lot more comfort among uh, among the political left, at at the former, at at, at using public policy to tear down uh, people at the top in a way that, you know, strikes me as as unseemly and and uh, imprudent. Uh, you were talking about some of those uh, talk about those outcomes that people find unjust. Uh, wealth inequality, even more so than in income inequality, though I want to get to that as well, has sort of been on the um, uh, on the radar. And just just a couple stats that people often throw at me as I as I talk about or tweet about it or what have you. One study says that the 400 richest Americans 
which is the really the top 0.00025% of the population, that they have tripled their share of the nation's wealth since the 1980s, uh, leading U.S. wealth concentration to levels last seen during the Roaring Twenties. Another study finds that the wealthiest 1% of American households own 40% of the country's wealth, also which has uh, increased markedly in recent decades. Now, those two numbers alone, do you have any sort of moral discomfort with those numbers? No, I, I, I don't. I, I, uh, you know, I think that there's no question but that um, there are some really, really wealthy people in, in the United States, and, and, and those people— you know, if you if you add up all the wealth in the country, um, those people hold a you know disproportionate share of it. You know that doesn't strike me as socially unjust or or, or morally offensive in any way. I think you know what I think about is how did they how did they make their money, and you know that's where I think we should be looking. Um, uh, you know, when we're thinking about whether we think this is a uh, a just outcome, you know the the richest person in in the United States is Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos has done enormous things for society and for the economy. Uh, Jeff Bezos uh, is fabulously wealthy, but he uh, has captured only a, a small small share of the total value that he's created for society. So that that doesn't strike me as as unjust at all. You know, Bill Gates is is incredibly wealthy. Bill Gates has done amazing things. Right, these are entrepreneurs who have built companies that obviously are doing things and providing services or, or products that people value. It's not as if it's not as if we had some state-owned company that was suddenly privatized and they because they knew people in government, they somehow got shares of it. It wasn't some sort of crony yeah, that's exactly capitalism right. like you might find. These are people who built uh, companies, yeah. uh, or they're the, or they're the the heirs of people right. who built companies, right. and that's fine. And that's fine too. Is that uh, is that different? Don't, don't we don't we have to think differently though about heirs versus the people actually built the companies? Why? You well, know, I think I think when we're thinking about the children of Jeff Bezos, would be fabulously wealthy. Um, how does that I mean? How does that help? me that they get to keep all that wealth. Yeah, I think when we're thinking about most families. When, when we're thinking about, you know, whether the whether whether the distribution of wealth is is a socially just uh, outcome, I think certainly it makes sense to think about uh, inventors and entrepreneurs differently than than their heirs. But when I think about their heirs, I'm I'm quite comfortable with their heirs uh, uh, having um, inherited that that money. I mean, you know, I think uh, <laughs> What's the alternative? Should billionaires spend as much money as possible while they're alive so that they leave less inheritance? You know, I don't know why that's better. I think if they're if they're not spending, you know, the money's not sitting under the mattress, right? If they're if they're not spending it, then uh, it's available for people to borrow, and and and, and that helps that helps uh, people and and helps the economy. Um, should the government reach in and 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 take it? You know, I have I have problems with. Uh, you know that type of punitive confiscatory tax, uh, and so you know if it's not if it's not being used for consumption and it's not being uh, paid in 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 the form of tax revenue, then you know it has to be saved, and if it's saved, it has to be given to somebody. And you know I think that um, you know it's quite laudable 
these billionaires who want to give their money to to philanthropic causes to charity um but you know it's their money they earned it and uh if they want to give it to their kids that that strikes me as a as a as a perfectly reasonable thing to do do we have a good handle on why we've seen this sort of this increasing concentration of wealth and of course it also it's also happening at the same time which there also seems to be some other things going wrong in the economy you know, you know productivity growth is there is it what is it reflecting? What are those? What what is that concentration reflecting? What trends is it reflecting? You know, I think is it I, just that suddenly you know there's been a lot of people been able to make a, you know a lot of money in, in Silicon Valley? Are there other things going on? You know, I think I mean I think you'd want to kind of look at the at the broad sweep and 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 you know probably you know try and and trace out some explanations uh, over over a longer period of time. I mean, if you look at if you look at the people who are at the top uh, right now. You know, you do see a lot of tech people. You see uh, a, a good number of finance people. Um, you know, you see some retail people, and and and, and you see some heirs, and 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 that's just reflective of, you know, things that the economy is uh, economy is valuing right but now. But that, but uh, some of these statistics I quoted, they're not just talking about sort of these the the really super super rich. They're talking the wealthiest one percent. Is that uh, we had the book come out, the uh, capitalism in the 21st century, and and looking at uh, you know you know rising wealth. What about housing? Is that is that a big part of it? Because I, I never hear any. I, I tend not to hear that mentioned when I hear about. And we're going to talk in a moment about wealth taxes. Is housing a big part of this or this uh, wealth concentration issue? Well, housing. I mean, housing is is the majority source of wealth for the majority of people who have wealth. Right. Um, you know, if you look at if you look at the top. You know, if you if you look at that, you know the 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 Forbes 400 list of of, of billionaires, uh, you know they own a lot of houses, um, for sure. Uh, but they, you know, they, you know, that's not. I mean, they own a lot of of other assets as well. Right. Um, <clears throat> uh, wealth taxes is one idea uh, that's been put forward uh, by people who think this is a problem, and you know, government needs to be taking a role. Let me uh, quote one wealth tax proponent. Uh, I believe someone's in favor of the uh, Elizabeth Warren's wealth tax. Uh, wealth inequality in our nation is a national scandal. The type of wealth tax that Senator Warren is proposing is essential. It frees up dramatic amounts of resources that make it more likely that the vast number of Americans can have economic security and a shot at their own small nest egg. So America's richest people, they pay a couple of, a couple of points on their wealth, 1% or 2%, maybe, maybe 3 for the really super rich. And in return, more economic security and people having a shot at their own nest egg. It doesn't seem like a lot to ask. Well, it, it is a lot to ask. You know, wealth taxes work differently than income taxes. So you hear, uh, you know, a, that that Senator Warren wants a two percent wealth tax, and, and and the number two sounds small, um, but that's that's a two percent wealth tax every year. And if you you know, depending on the assumptions. That you want to use, uh, you know, in calculating how wealth grows over time. You know, o- over a ten-year period, you're taking seventeen percent, eighteen percent, twenty percent of a person's net worth, and that's a that's a lot. You know, if, if somebody... so, the person who's worth forty billion would be worth twenty-five billion. Uh, I mean, still, you know, I mean, some, I mean, a lot under these plans. Billion, a lot of billionaires will still be ah, billionaires and fantastically well, you wealthy. You said that you were implying that that's that, that, that fifteen billion <laughs> of the forty billion is not a lot. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like a lot. Because it'll be a billion. 
If you, there's only you know that they'll have more. You walked past a fifteen billion dollar bill lying on the street. Do you think you'd pick <laughs> that 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 uh, that up? I'd give it a look. You give it a look. I'd, gi- I'd give it. I'd give it a look. But I think that's the point that these people will still be fabulously wealthy. It's unclear how that would change. You know, one concern is if these uh, a lot of these super wealthy people are entrepreneurs, and somehow that would have changed their career path in some in some way. Would they have done something differently? Uh, and maybe not, maybe retired earlier and not kept building these companies. I don't, I don't know. But there would be some impact that concerns you. Does that concern you? I mean, what would really be, I mean, they would still be working hard. I mean, someday I want to be, have 10 billion, maybe 20 billion, but it's not going to change how they, we're still going to have these big companies, right? Even if we made them somewhat less, less wealthy. Well, it's hard to know. I mean, I think, I think Senator Warren's wealth tax would you know, significantly reduce Jeff Bezos's ownership uh, share of Amazon, right. for example. You know, does that affect the way that Bezos, you know, does his job and conducts his life? Probably. Um, you know, do uh, I think that taking, you know, close to 20% of the returns from innovation and entrepreneurship for the most successful people would affect people who wanted to be innovators right. and entrepreneurs. I think sir, under that kind of under that kind of tax regime, uh, you know, had it been had it been in place for the last thirty years, would we still have these companies? Other countries, they have different tax systems, they don't have these companies. We do have them. Would we still have you know, would we still have an Amazon and a Google? Would Steve Jobs have come back to Apple? But basically, can we have can we make this one sort of massive change in how we tax, and all else pretty much stay equal? I think that seems to be the the gamble that a lot that sort of the wealth tax proponents uh, are making. Yeah, and I and I would be I would be surprised if everything stayed the same. And that seems like a pretty large gamble to make. And I think you know it just highlights the need to kind of step back and and say what are taxes for? You know what are we doing? Uh, are taxes um, uh, for financing government programs that we that we think are, are important, or taxes, you know, for trying to knock the top seventy five thousand uh, wealthiest households down a peg and reduce their political influence, or uh, uh, you know, reduce their wealth in order to you know change the wealth statistics. You know the 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 wealth tax seems to be more about um, you know reducing the fortunes because we don't like the fortunes. Bernie Sanders has said so, yeah. uh, Bernie Sanders has said there should not be any billionaires. Right. A billionaire, other people said a billionaire means something. If there's any billionaires, it means something has gone wrong with public yeah. policy. No, that's 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 absolutely right. Um, you know, I think that's remarkably short-sighted. Uh, it is very difficult. Uh, to argue that the world would be better off if we didn't have Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates, um, and we should want there to be more Jeff Bezos and and, and, and Bill Gates. But you're not going to have Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates uh, if people, you know, can't amass significant amounts of wealth. It doesn't really seem to be about. Revenue. I mean, I know that I, when I read that quote, it frees up dramatic, dramatic amounts of resources. I just question whether that's the reason, especially given sort of the, the skepticism I hear on the left that, that the debt as it currently is is actually a big problem. 
Um, I think they'd be perfectly happy uh, borrowing the money. And other and there and other countries which have maybe you know uh, bigger safety nets. This is not how they tax. They don't they don't they don't fund these these safety nets, which some people on the left aspire to through very onerous wealth taxes. I mean, right? I mean, they use value-added taxes and these sort of well, broader, yeah, broader I mean, ba- right? The number of not a uh, giant wealth tax throughout Scandinavia. Yeah, the the, the number of high-income countries that that have wealth taxes has actually dropped significantly over the past few decades. There are now only uh, around a handful that do, but as you know, it's very hard to to you know come up with a dollar value of the assets that are held by people, and then and then and then and then to levy that tax and to do that year after year. It's just not a good way to raise revenue. Are there changes you would make to the tax code where you think, uh, you know, at the top where uh, wealthier Americans get tax breaks or uh, we spend, we quote unquote, spend, you know, tax expenditures on them that we shouldn't? Are, are there changes you would make uh, at, at the top? Sure, yeah. I mean, I think we, uh, you know, we, we, we still spend a lot of money through the tax code. Um, and, you know, we, should, we shouldn't do that. That's bad for economic efficiency and a lot of that spending goes to higher income people um, which is you know not the you know where we should be where we should be putting um, uh, uh, public dollars so you know there are there are lots of ways to to raise revenue that don't involve having special punitive tax rules for the top 0.06 percent of, of households and what and what about on the other end we sort of you know uh, most policies have been focused on sort of bringing down the top but what about raising sort of the amount of wealth people at the bottom have? Are there any obvious policy solutions or policy approaches to doing that? Well, I think I think the you know the 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 place to start is by encouraging people to work who aren't working and uh, helping you know people to to raise their incomes, um, and that gives them a larger you know flow of resources every month that, that, that they can save. Um, I think we should also think about, you know, how to help people save um, uh, policies that can make saving easier, make the need to save more salient, and that can, and that can assist people. Uh, Is there an example of those? Um, I mean, there are. You know, it depends on how kind of uh, uh, extreme you want to go. Um, but right now, the government does a lot of saving for I have, people. I have, I have a, I have a soft spot for novel policy approaches. You like, I, you like extreme. You like, I, extreme. I like, I like ex- right, right. You need to be you ones that really push the, bo- the boundary of both uh, constitutionality and good taste. You're stretching. You're stretching <laughs> the boundary. Well, maybe you can be maybe, like what's like what's sort of the range, just broadly the range of things that you know that we're talking about. You talked about making it you know saving more salient in people's lives. Well, um, uh, you know we could we could have kind of things that are that are more similar to health savings accounts mm-hmm. for a wider variety of things. For example, so right now you can put money into an account tax free and use that money for health related expenses. You know, we could allow and we and there's some more programs for saving for your children's education. We could do uh, similar things um, for uh, saving in the case of unemployment. We could do similar things for saving in the case of, of retirement. You know, there, 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 there's just a, there's a lot of ways. Privatize Social Security. I often hear that mentioned. You could privatize Social Security. Yeah. That would that would convert a lot of public savings to private savings. Uh, I brought up the housing issue uh, earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, would th- would that help if we were able to build more homes? Uh, I mean, we certainly should make it easier to build houses in in in, in cities. Yeah, that, yeah so, that's so much so much of those economic gains are being captured by people who are sort of already own homes. It makes it difficult, obviously, to move to these cities yep. for people. And so that would lower 
the price of housing, which would reduce wealth for for people who currently own homes. You know, but it, but you know, to the extent that owning a home is kind of a forced savings mechanism, if you get more people into home ownership, then you know the number of people with with savings uh, uh, would likely increase. Hearing less about income, there's a, there's a lot happening. It's dynamic. There is, there is a dynamic, is a dynamic, dynamic. economy. Or it's a dynamic presentation you're giving us. Uh, hear less about income inequality. Um, astute observation. Yes, thank you. Uh, Lisa, uh, has that has that sort of just kind of fallen from the radar a little bit, or is it just that? I mean, why are we still now focusing on wealth inequality? Why are there these wealth inequality proposals? Uh, rather than income inequality. So that, that's what we heard. We heard about that. It seems like less so. Yeah, I, do, I, don't, I don't know. Are, are the statistics as equally scary? I mentioned all the scary wealth inequality statistics, how it's, uh, it's really sort of just exploded according to those stats. Uh, what do we, do we, what's been happening with income inequality? So, the, uh, so the, you know, the level of income inequality or the kind of the size of the gap between high and low income people um, is... You know, still quite large relative to uh, to um, you know where it has been in the past. If you look over the last ten years or so, the rate at which inequality is growing has slowed dramatically, stagnated, or even fallen, depending on the specific measure of income and and measure of inequality that you use. Uh, so, you know, it could be that. That politicians know that and 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 you know have turned their attention to to wealth inequality. Um, you know, I don't. I'm not. I'm. I'm not. I'm not sure where the concern about income inequality went. I mean, you know, the the wealth the the wealth tax is the equivalent of a of a capital income tax, um, and the wealth tax would exist alongside the current income tax system. So, you know, in some in some sense, you can think about these things somewhat interchangeably. But, you know, it's not. I, I'm I'm not. I don't. I don't really have a good sense of, of how the debate uh, of why the debate has has evolved. Or if it has anything to do with you know that we have seen better wage growth. Can uh, I turn the like, tables on you about uh, income inequality? Do you, what do you? Why do you think the? What do you uh, think I I think that wealth inequality is just uh, if you're a politician pushing an issue. And especially with sort of this concern about you know technology companies, technology entrepreneurs, uh, it's just it's just kind of a sexier issue I think to push. That look at these big fortunes, uh, and it syncs nicely again with concerns that big tech companies not only do they have too much power, but the people who started them have too much power, and it sort of just I think works as kind of a, a cohesive issue if you're pushing it. So. The tech lash. Yeah, tech lash is manifesting also in a sort of wealth inequality that none of these people are getting super rich, but they're getting super rich. Uh, doing things which are, you know, bad for the economy. So I think it works together. Uh, just one more thing about income inequality, wages a bit, wages have been doing better, right? I mean, mm-hmm. all the concern about wage stagnation, which I know you've written a little bit about in your Bloom, uh, Bloomberg column, uh, wages uh, going up, real wages going up. But it's not, but the people who, they look at those numbers and say, well, finally, yeah, what, for 18 months, wages have gone up after, they, after they've stagnated for, you know, 30 or 40 years, they're not real impressed. What do we really know about what wages have done? Is there? It's kind of like a. This is sort of the myth busting portion of the uh, we're the bit, podcast. We're, we're yeah, what's going on with wage stagnation? What's the what is the myth, or what do people kind of get wrong about about wages when you hear um, many folks at other think tanks talk about them? Well, I I I don't think wages have been stagnant for the past three decades. Um, that is a claim. It's a claim. It's certainly a claim. You know, I think if you 
if you look at the wages of typical workers, so you exclude highly highly compensated managers and, 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 and professionals, and you go back uh, 30 years and you look at how uh, the wages of, of those workers have have grown you see you know 20 percent 30 percent 35 percent is it all because it's all because like everyone's choosing different inflation measures is that it well I mean I, I think no matter no matter which inflation measure you use you still see a uh, significant increase in wages you know I think if you if you say okay, you know wages have grown by twenty percent or thirty percent, but slower than in the past, though I think that's the thing. Even if you take those numbers, it's still not as fast and as it's a, not as fast the as they grew in the post-war decade. Yeah. So what, so I think oh. say that the economy was sort of not broken then, and then it kind of broke, and all the gains are now going, or too many of the gains are going to people at the top. That's sort of I mean, yeah. So those are, the, so those are two separate arguments, though. So one argument is that. Uh, wages are growing, but they're growing. Fa- wages for typical workers are growing over the past three decades, but they're growing slower than they did in the 1950s. Right. Another argument is that wages um, uh, for the past three decades for typical workers are growing, but they're growing slower than wages at the uh, for people at the top. Right. Um, both of those arguments concede that wages are growing for uh, typical workers. Um, those arguments do not, you know say that wages are, are not growing. I mean, stagnant means not growing. Um, uh, you know, I mean, I think that there was a period of time when the economy really did not deliver wage growth for um, for typical uh, uh, workers. And when was this? That time was in the... <laughs> when was this time? <laughs> oh, boy. Do you, know will, the, do you know the years? I will go back to that time. <laughs> I will go back to that time, and I will stop this from happening. <laughs> That's what's coming next, isn't it? Uh, I have a plan. <laughs> that time Hear was in out. the 1970s and 80s. Yes. Uh, uh, and you know that just, but that, but that just, that's just not the case. If you look at the, so you just have to have to pick your your starting date. You know, are, are you gonna are you gonna start your date in 1970, 1980, 1990, and it's sort of, mm-hmm. or you or, know, or 1790, and <laughs> right. there's significant, beautiful growth. Do we know why, why there wasn't that wage growth in the seventies and eighties? Um, That's still like a outstanding question. Seventies were 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 a bad a bad decade, and there was and there was and there was a lot of price inflation, and so that you know really hurt. I mean, there was growth in nominal wages, mm-hmm. but but if you sure. if you if you if you just for inflation, um, you know, it was a it was a bad time. And I'm glad to hear that you're going to go back to 1969 and 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 get it right this time. Uh, we mentioned Elizabeth Warren's uh, wealth tax. I've also heard this argument that. We should have the kind of economy where two people don't need to work. One, per- we should be able to you know, support a family uh, on a job. You know, let the other spouse stay at home. Doesn't say which spouse is. The other spouse can stay at home. Maybe if then if someone loses their job, that spouse should come into the workforce. But we should kind of go back to that. We should, you should be able to have a pretty good middle class life on one income. Is that possible? Is that no longer possible? Or was it only possible for a very small slice of American history? I mean, look. I mean, I think you can have a, a nice uh, life on one income. Um, you know, I. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, I mean, look. In some ways, I just, I just, I, I, I get a little bit confused by this. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who have a, a family where only one person works in the family, um, and that's a, that's just the choice. Uh, if two people were working, there'd be there'd be more. 
Yeah, there'd be more income. Um, uh, you know, and so you would you would do things differently. Um, but but but, you know, uh, I mean, do you, do you think, like, do you think like an average person today, uh, we're just one, one you know you know two kids, one parent is working, can have as good a life as that same family in 1965. Well, I think they'd have a lot better life. Um, I think they'd have a lot better life. Uh, they'd be earning more money than that family would in 1960, and they would have a lot more, uh, you know, they'd have, they'd have a lot more economic opportunity, um, and, uh, you know, particularly if they were uh, women or, or a minority, um, and uh, and they, um, you know, would have air conditioning and antibiotics and, you know, all, all, all I mean, all sorts of stuff. It's, you know, I, I mean, the... You know, I mean, look, the idea that the idea that 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 there is a, you know, broad group of people uh, for whom life was better in the 1960s than it is today um, just kind of borders on the absurd. Last question for you. We I think we've been on before. We've talked a little bit about automation and jobs. Uh, it seems at some point in recent years, there was quite a bit of concern that the robots are taking all the jobs There are quite a few books out about it. Um you know, now time has passed, and there's probably more studies, and more papers. Passing, the jobs are still here. They're still, they're still here. What do you know? Still don't have driverless cars. In fact, it seems it might be a little, little farther, uh, further off than we thought. Are there any uh, autonomous podcasters? Um, no, I don't, there think, I, don't, I don't think so. That's uh, that's the very last thing to be automated. Does that worry you? As, does it worry me? Um, I think I'm irreplaceable. Yeah, I think I have a, a, a special magic. How that cannot, how that, a, that cannot be duplicated by silicon? How could a robot do this? <laughs> uh, as the, th- as, there, as the thinking changed at all, have there, have there been new studies um, have, about, about the concerns? Are, they, are, they, are those concerns greater? Are they less? Have you done um, any more work on this issue? Um, look, I mean, I think it's something that, that, that people are, are looking into and researching. I, you know, I, I, I don't think that there's, um, uh, you know, much evidence, if, uh, if any convincing evidence, that suggests that the economy will no longer need mass things. technological unemployment. Mm-hmm. Because the, I mean, the sort of the, the general sort of economist view of that is, well, that's not going to happen. It hasn't happened in the past. There's no reason to think that would happen in the future. They, you know, we, we work with technology. They make us better workers, more productive workers, that sort of thing. That's still sort of the consensus view. Well, and when, and when, um, when technology marches forward and automates uh, certain job tasks or, or, or entire occupations, businesses figure out new things to do with workers. And, uh, you know, that... That seems like the safe money is on is on uh, on that outcome. My guest today has been Michael Strain. Mike, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been wonderful.